If we've not met before, I am Simon, and I'll be bringing you the second reading, which is the whole of Matthew, um, and can be found, <clears throat> which can be found at the start of the Matthew booklets, which you received on the way in. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord hath said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Special thanks to you, Simon. Oh, awful reading. That's no, a good part of God's word. My name's Dan. If I haven't met you before, uh, let's pray as we come to this part of God's word. Uh, Father, we... Um, long to be those people who fall uh, to our knees before you because that's the right place for us to be and it's a wonderfully free place to be. Uh, Father, but for that to happen, we need to um, see the glory of your son. We need to uh, hear the angel voices. And so we do pray now that you'd help us uh, to see your son a little more for who he really is uh, in a little more of his glory, we pray. Uh, Please help us by your spirit to do that. Help me as I speak and us as we listen uh, to see your son, uh, to savor him, to love him, we pray. Amen. Well, two things have really shocked me this week. Uh, you can probably guess what the first one is. Um, how, can, how can humans do the sorts of things we've seen this week to other humans? Kind of like treating the other people like they're just expendable uh, for your own purposes, to kind of make your own statement or whatever it might be. Um, one of the reports I heard was of a, a guy who had been shot in both legs. This is in Pakistan. And he crawled into the school admin office and he saw the office attendant this is what he says, sitting on, her, on the chair with blood dripping from her body as she burned. How can you do that? That's shocking, right? The second thing that shocked me um, this week was when I realized that the people who did that were humans, like me. I realized that actually I'm not entirely different. I'm not excusing them just for a second, not a chance, but this week I treated people like they were expendable. I had my goals and and what I wanted to get done and they were kind of in the way, a little bit the same. Like when I was standing in the uh, queue at the shops and there was far too many people in front of me, what were they all doing here? When I was driving my car, get off the road, I've got places to be. Or when I treated needy people like they were just an inconvenience to me. Do you see... The sort of things that are in this mind and heart are not entirely different. And might I say the things in your minds and hearts might not be entirely different either. And so I was left thinking, my goodness, this world needs to change, doesn't it? The human beings in this world need to change. In fact, I thought, well, perhaps I'll put it this way for for the sermon. Our world desperately needs Christmas. We're going to spend a bit of time in Matthew chapter 1, and I hope to show that, that our world desperately needs to understand and get and benefit from Christmas. Uh, Matthew 1 is obviously the beginning of, uh, of this uh, long story of Matthew, and so it's all about expectations as you start the story. Um, so we're going to see this evening um, disappointed expectations, renewed expectations, and then fulfilled expectations. So we started off in Matthew 1. Uh, with this genealogy, thank you, Simon, 
Uh, my favorite is Salmon. Did you catch him? Imagine the names he got called in this playground. Are you pink or red? I don't know. Um, but just like in Genesis, um, genealogies kind of tell us where we're up to in the story. Uh, they kind of set the scene. Um, and as you can uh, tell, this is, not, uh, this is not myth. This is not how you write a myth. This is history. So it tells you where you're up to in history. Um, you would have noticed probably two key characters that came up a few times and with the beginning of sections, David and Abraham. Uh, God made great promises to these men. Um, to Abraham, he promised, I will be with you to bless you and your family. And to King David, he promised, I'll give you a son, another kind of King David, um, who will be the king of the world and will defeat all of your enemies. And it's these two promises that really drive the Bible story along. These kind of uh, promises keep uh, the Israelites hopeful and expectant about what the future might hold. That God is going to be with them to bless them. And he's going to send another King David to rule the world forever and to defeat all of their enemies. These are their great hopes. So as they read uh, this strange list of names that we thought was just very bizarre, uh, they're, they're reading their history and they might be left feeling a little bit empty as they read it. Because they had these great expectations and promises to Abraham and David, and yet none of them, none of them had actually come about. Disappointed expectations. Actually, uh, what they were experiencing was no, no blessing, didn't seem like God was present, and, well, the king they've got at the moment, the dodgy King Herod, He's not really a good king at all. He's not even defending them from their enemies. In fact, he's kind of working with them. The truth is, where they found themselves, first century Israel, was in exile. To pick that up in the, in, in the genealogy, that's kind of where the genealogy almost ends, in exile. Now, you might know from your, your Bible history that uh, because of Israel's sin, they were shipped off to Babylon. Because they didn't love God, because they treated other people like they were expendable, perhaps, and other things, uh, they were sent off to exile in Babylon. Now, again, if you know your, your Bible history, they've actually come back. They're now back in Israel, in Jerusalem and stuff. And yet Matthew wants to make the point, they might be back physically, but spiritually, they're still in exile. Spiritually, they're still far from God. He is not close. Because of their sin, God is offered a distance. They are at a distance from God. It's actually because of their sin that all of these expectations, promises, are being disappointed. But that's not actually quite where the genealogy leaves us. You see, genealogies don't just kind of tell you where you're up to in history. They actually kind of mark off epochs, if you will, chapters. And you notice, as Simon read, that there was three chapters or epochs of history presented in this genealogy. It's kind of one, Abraham to David, David to uh, the exile, and then the exile to the Christ. And it's almost like you're saying, okay, we've had three chapters, what's next? You can imagine Israel thinking, oh, we've come to the end of a chapter, have we? That's good news. We could do with a new chapter. The chapter we've been in has been pretty terrible. What's coming? It's kind of a sense of expectation being renewed. And the same thing could be said for us, friends. 
Doesn't our world need a new chapter? Don't things need to change? We read, uh, we sang a moment ago, uh, long lay the world in sin and error pining. It's exactly right. That's where we still are. Our world needs a new chapter. Surely we've seen that this week, that we as people are still far from God because of our sin. And it's not just, you know, your people in, in, in the Lint Cafe and in Pakistan and places. It's each of us. Each of us by nature don't, don't know God. We don't actually know his love. We're not convinced about how he feels towards us. We're not naturally convinced that he's going to bless us. And you know what? If I'm, if I'm not convinced he's going to bless me, I'm going to go and sort stuff out myself, right? I'm going to go and make sure my life gets better, that I get blessing. And when we seek to go and do that, all sorts of sinful and selfish, uh, yeah, sorry, sin just starts kind of oozing out of us. We start treating people around us like they're expendable so that we might reach our goal of just having a better life and blessing. It takes heaps of forms, right? We kind of, we might go into a school and start shooting people. I hope not. We might just be impatient. We might get angry at people, we might get defensive, lazy. These are all symptoms of our world being in exile from God, at a distance from him because of our sin. And so this genealogy is good news for us too, because it leaves us thinking, well, maybe there is an end to that chapter for our world. Maybe we can end that chapter for ourselves and move into a new chapter. Is it possible? And this genealogy is saying, yes, with the coming of Jesus Christ, that chapter is closed and a new one is opened because the Lord Jesus fulfills all those promises and all those expectations. And that's the last point, which is quite long, but fulfilled expectation. Would you take up your little books and turn with me to the very first sentence of Matthew? Because Matthew spells it out right from the top. Very first sentence, what's going on? This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, this one who'd been promised, the son of Abraham, through whom the, promise, the one that promises were made to. All the, all the expectations and promises are going to be fulfilled in this man, Jesus, that God would be with us to bless us and that he would be this great son of King David, come to rule the world and to defeat our enemies. This is the guy. Here he is. And of course, the rest of the book of Matthew just kind of unpacks that sentence almost. And it begins to be unpacked to Joseph, our friend Joseph. We're going to look at his story just for a few moments as well. How do you feel? For, do you feel sorry for Joseph? This guy is engaged to, uh, to Mary. It's kind of a legally binding sort of engagement. And she comes to him. And uh, I don't know what the scene would have been like. You know, uh, Joseph, I've got some news. Uh, I'm pregnant. You're what? How did that happen? Well, what would she say? How does he feel? Is he, is he angry? He's obviously confused, embarrassed. But he's a good guy. He's a genuinely good guy. And he doesn't want to uh, expose her to public shame. And so he plans. He's, he's just going to divorce her quietly on the side. And then before he can do it, this angel, a messenger of God, comes and has a message for him. Uh, verse 20. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And of course, being the good guy that he is, verse 24, he does exactly that. Why do you think it was so important that he named Jesus Jesus? Why not Steve? Brian? I know Brian Christ doesn't have the same ring, but... Well, well you know back then, names had meanings. We don't really, we don't really operate that way anymore. Uh, that's why people call their kids things like Kennedy. Are there any Kennedys here? Good. It means ugly head. Uh, but we don't care, do we? Because we don't care what names mean. Well, they did back then. Jesus means God saves. Uh, why would you name him that? Because verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. Now, we say that all the time, don't we? Save his people from their sins. Save from sins. But that's actually the big issue. All these great promises were made, and what was preventing them from coming about was our sin. Sin is the great enemy. It's what holds us at a distance from God. It's why people walk into schools in Pakistan with guns. It's why I treat other people in my life uh, as if they're, they're extraneous and I can treat them how I like. Sin is the great problem. It ruins lives and it puts us at a distance from God. And that's exactly why Jesus comes. You'll remember the story of David and Goliath. Um, Goliath is the great enemy of God's people. If you can take him down, all of God's people are free. But no one could do it until David comes up with his little sling, takes Goliath down, chops his head off, which is always missing from the kids' books. But, but he single-handedly takes out the great enemy of God's people. Now, we've got a great expectation because King David's greater son has come. He's got to do the same thing, right? Exactly. Right. He does. He single-handedly takes out sin, death, and Satan, our great enemy. Of course, that work is completed at the cross when Jesus gives his life for us. But it actually begins at Christmas. It begins when he gives his heavenly life to come and be with us. When he gives up the throne of glory to come and join us in exile, far from God. Now, you might actually notice that we're starting to bleed over onto the second promise, the promise to Abraham that God would be with us, to bless us. Jesus is God with us, to bless us. And again, we got that from another name. Jesus is God saves Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I've got a little a picture to put up on the screen. Does anyone know who uh, the guy on the left is? Someone's whispering, Herod, no. It's Santa, actually. An ancient, that's St. That's Nicholas. Uh, that's St. Nicholas, uh, the Bishop of Myra. Um, he's, he was obviously well known for uh, being uh, kind of um, social-minded, a uh, bit of a, uh, a hard socialist. He loved giving gifts to the poor, especially secretly. Uh, but there's something else he's kind of famous for, like in this picture, but not nearly as well known. Um, there was a, a big council in 325 called the Council of Nicaea. 
And this guy called Arius, who's on the right, was standing before the council explaining why Jesus is not God. He's not equal in divinity with God the Father. Now, St. Nicholas is kind of sitting here, getting really angry, and gets up out of his seat and comes and slaps Arius across the face. The Santa slap. The Christmas slap. I think that's true because he's defending Christmas, right? He's passionate about Christmas. Because if Jesus is not God with us, what is Christmas? It may as well be Santa and ham and presents. He is God with us, Emmanuel. Do you know what's happened? The exile's over. God who was off at a distance, who we didn't really know, we didn't know how he felt about us. He's come near. That's what happens at Christmas. Jesus comes and deals with our sin and then brings us God and brings him to us and us to him. That's Christmas. And that's the new chapter for our world. The new beginning, the new possibility. So that no longer do we have to be uncertain about this God and think he's maybe off there on a cloud somewhere because he's come near. He's shown us that he wants to be with us and engage with us and and to be known by us. There's no more guessing. We no longer need to be in doubt about how, how he feels about us. He's come so close. He's come to find us in exile and to pay the penalty for us. He loves us. He actually says at the end of this story, uh, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I've come and I'm never leaving. And now we have certainty that this God is not disconnected from our world's suffering. Like, you know, the things that happened this week, he doesn't just, he's not just off at a distance going, oh, that looks bad. He's joined us, suffered alongside us and for us. And no longer do we need to go and seek after our own blessing, make our lives better. Because he's promised that he will bless us more than we can even imagine. And it's such a blessing even just knowing him. And finally, no longer do we need to sin. We don't need to sin anymore. We've been set free from the power and penalty of sin. Jesus has shown us how to live rightly. And he gives us his spirit so that we can actually begin to do that. We might not be perfect, but we begin. Friends, the great news that comes right here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel is that a new chapter in history has been turned over. A new possibility has come. Jesus has opened up this new chapter for us, brought us from exile. So the question is, have you come? Have you actually turned that page over? started this new chapter, this new life. If you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, you know what, not really. I I still think of God as kind of being quite distant. I'm not really sure what he thinks of me. Well, can I encourage you to take this home with you? Just grab, we'd love for you to take it home. Perhaps you might want to also grab one of those next steps cards that you were given on your way in. And just let us know that you're keen to know more. We'd love to help you read the Bible and get to know Jesus. Uh, We'd love for you to begin a new chapter with him. 
Uh, many of you have done that, though. You've started a new chapter. You're following Jesus. Uh, let me just leave you with one thing for Christmas. Uh, Emmanuel. This is what the whole Bible story, the whole of history, has kind of been pointing towards. It's the centerpiece of history. Jesus comes to remove our sins so that we might have God with us. The great promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. Friends, that's what God is passionate about for you. That you might have him and he might have you. Emmanuel, no matter what lays ahead, he wants to be with you. He will be with you. And not in some kind of Santa Claus way, kind of watching over your shoulder to make sure you're not doing the wrong thing. You know those creepy Christmas carols? He sees when you're sli- you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. It's scary stuff. You'd better watch out. You'd better not cry. You'd better freak out. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. <sighs> but that is not Jesus with us. No, we've got to remember that God with us, Jesus with us, is, is the Abraham promise. God with us to bless us. Like we heard last week with Joseph, he's with us always, working good even out of evil stuff. We don't always know the good. We just have to trust him. In fact, sometimes good comes out of the evil, and we know it's good, but we don't like it anyway. But our God is good. He wants us to have him. He wants to have us. This is Christmas. This is his passion. It's the centerpiece of history. All the expectations of history are pointing to this. And friends, it is ours in the Lord Jesus. We should rejoice in that this Christmas. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father, we do thank you so much uh, that you have found us at a distance. You've come to us in your son. You've dealt with our sin, taken it upon yourself so that you might have us and we might have you. We're so thankful for that, Father. We didn't deserve that at all. We thank you. Father, I do particularly want to remember just now in prayer those who are feeling like you are off at a distance. They don't know you close. Father, please help us to look to Jesus once again and see in him your love for each one of us, not just generally, but for each of us. Father, imprint that truth deep into our hearts that we might know your love this Christmas. Amen.